1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what, or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things, which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. Do problems seem to pile up on you? You know, I still talk about, well, you got this problem, but do you have multiple problems this morning? Manifold temptations. On the car, there's a part, there's an auto, there's a part to the motor of a car called the manifold. I don't know anything about it. Um, I told Brother Wayman, I've got this exhaust thing. He goes, oh, that's a manifold. Mm -hmm. The only thing I can tell you about the manifold is there were multiple pipes attached to it, all right? There's lots of stuff there. When you look at that word manifold, you've got a lot of things happening. Manifold temptations, that's a lot of temptations. Manifold problems, that's a lot of problems. Do you have things piling up? Is it hitting you from all directions? I can't have just, well, the dryer did go out and it was by itself and I'm glad for that. But there have been times I can't have just a dryer go out. The washer, the water heater, and the stove have to go out the same week. That ever happened to y'all? Yep. All right. The pipe burst, the car breaks down, the dog knocks out a section of the fence and runs over into the neighbor's yard and frightens his little dog, and now the neighbor's mad at you. You ever have stuff like that happen? Yep. School teachers, do all the kids lose their minds on the same day? Yep. Right? Um, nurses in the emergency room hate full moons because everybody has an accident. The police hate full moons because everybody decides to start their life of crime that night, right? Manifold temptations. Does it ever hit you all at once? You got problems coming from every single side. That's what Peter's talking about here when he talks about that you were in heaviness through manifold temptations. Now, how does Peter know what we're going through? Because Peter knew what his people were going through. You see, he addresses this letter 
to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. These strangers are not, well, not, I don't, he didn't know all of them. But these strangers are people he knows and knows of. Christians who have been scattered. Christians who have been driven from their homes by Roman persecution. These are people who have lost everything, all right? We tend to think of ancient Rome and ancient Greece as these cities of white concrete stone steps and columns and neat little buildings and guys just walked around in robes and they philosophized all day. But life was really a lot harder than that. That's the romantic view of ancient Rome and of ancient Greece. These people, they had jobs, they had careers, they had house payments, they had issues that they had to deal with. And so if you were a Roman Christian, you were a Christian living in the city of Corinth, or you were in the city of Ephesus, or you were in the city of Rome, wherever you were living, all right, you had a career, you had a job, you had a way that you provided for your family, and becoming a Christian oftentimes cost you all that. And from time to time, the Roman government would oppress Jews, and the Christians were just seen as another form of a Jew. And so the Christians got persecuted as well. And sometimes the Jews helped the persecution of the Christians. They'd go and they'd say, these guys are not loyal to Caesar. And then you'd have problems there. You saw that in Ephesus. And so these people are being driven from their homes. And so in modern times, we think that they just went to another city with columns and staircases and everything. No, they had to find a place to live. They had to find a way to... to uh, feed themselves, to feed their children. I mean, you think of uprooting the entire family. They've got manifold temptations. They're being killed. They're being imprisoned. They're homeless. They're being driven from town. Can you imagine what it would be like if the military came in here and told you, you've got to leave Brownwood and early. You've got to leave town. And so you leave town, and in desperation, you go to Stephenville. And they said, no, you can't be here either. Where do you go? everything's piling up, and I think i got problems with washers and dryers, right? We haven't for a while, praise the Lord. But these people had lost everything, and that's who Peter's talking to. So how do you talk to someone? How do you comfort someone who has lost everything? How do you comfort yourself when you are dealing with all this loss, when you are dealing with all these problems? How do you, how do you get through that? Peter comforted the Christians simply by reminding them who they were, who took care of them, and where they were going. He reminds these Christians how that Christ suffered for them, and he encouraged them to serve the Lord as they looked forward to his return. And we are taught the same, to be reminded of how Christ suffered for us, and to know that because he suffered for us, mm -hmm. he's coming back to receive us. And so Peter begins this endeavor in chapter 1 here. Mm -hmm. He reminds us of who we are in Christ, yes. and that's important. We forget who we are in Christ, don't we? I'll be having a stressful day, Jessica. Say, Leland, you are loved. <sighs> I want to hear, Leland, it's all fixed. <laughs> but she tells me, Leland, you are loved. But that's big. Because I'm loved, I know it's going to get fixed. Yes. All right? He reminds us who we are in Christ. Mm -hmm. He references our suffering in relation to our transformation. 
every bit of suffering, every problem that comes into your life, mm -hmm. God did not create it. God did not make it. No. God did not order it. But God uses it to transform you, to refine you, to strengthen you, to bring you closer into his presence. And he encourages us to move forward in faith. Peter reminds us who we are in Christ. Who are we in Christ? Verse 2. We are the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Amen. Now, before we get into the deep theology and the doctrines here, we have to understand that Peter didn't have any of that. He's simply writing a letter to fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, and he tells them that you are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Amen. He's not trying to write a book to sell in the bookstore. He is trying to encourage people. Peter says that we are elect. What does that mean? We are elect. The word simply means we are chosen. We are chosen. Scripture teaches us that God chose to save us. That we did not choose to be saved. What I mean by that is mankind didn't get together one day and have a business meeting and say, let's send a letter to God to see if we can get some reconciliation here. No, God was the one that took the first steps toward our reconciliation. That's what you take from this. We are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Scripture teaches that God chose to save us. He took the first steps. Oh, by the way, he took all the steps. All right? But he took the first one, and that's important. All the steps are important, but we have to remember salvation, redemption, reconciliation began with God. That's why Romans 3, 10, and 11 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Man in his natural state does not seek after God. Man in his natural state seeks after the next pleasure. I am saved. I am redeemed. I am a child of God. He has, he has indwelt me with his spirit. He has given me his Holy Spirit. I know the Lord. I have experienced his grace. I have experienced his comfort. I have experienced transformation in my life. But you know what? Sometimes I'm not thinking about that. Sometimes I'm thinking about what I want to do. Which is watch a baseball game. Apparently you can't find those on TV anymore. The only time I get to watch live TV is when I stay in a hotel. I've got to stay in a lot of hotels. Not a single one of them had Fox Sports Southwest. I'm trying to figure out how this works. Is there anything wrong or sinful about watching a baseball game? No. But where's my mind not? Right? Leland is a child of God. But Leland in his natural state is thinking about baseball. See, we don't seek after God. There's none of us righteous. There's none of us that within ourselves we have some inherent holiness. Not a single one of us. All right? It was God that stepped toward us. It was God that reached out to us. It was God that reached out to us, plucked us from sin and destruction, and brought us into his presence. Furthermore, Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is the author of our faith. 
What does that mean? It means it was his idea. It means it began with him. It means he initiated it. We didn't initiate it. He initiated it. He is the author of our faith. And he is the finisher of our faith. Which means he did all the work for our faith. He completed it. We didn't complete it. We don't complete it. There's nothing we can do to add to it. He did all of it. It was his idea to go to the cross. He went willingly to the cross. He told his disciples, he said, I am going to Jerusalem and I will suffer for the gospel's sake. And Peter said, and he's telling them he's going to suffer. He's going to be turned over to the Romans. He's going to be turned over to the Gentiles. He is going to be crucified. And Peter says, be it far from thee, Lord. Peter, be it far from thee, Lord. This shall not come to pass. <laughs> Jesus looks at Peter and says, get thee behind me, Satan. For you savor not the things of God, but the things of man. Jesus done called Peter Satan. Because Peter said that Jesus wasn't going to go to the cross. And Jesus said, you got your head in the wrong place. See, Jesus willingly went to the cross. He, you could not stop him from going to the cross. John 12, 27, he says, Therefore is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. His idea. All right? And then he finished it. He was nailed to that cross. He endured the wrath of God on the cross, calling out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In pain, not because the nails hurt. They did. Not because he was bleeding and dying. He was. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was enduring the wrath of God and taking yes. our punishment upon himself. The only begotten Son of God in whom God was well pleased and whom God loved and whom God told us to hear is now being punished by God for the sins that we have committed. Yes. And when it was paid, when that debt was settled, when our debt was cleared, when our punishment had been finished, the Lord said, it is finished. Amen. He is the author and the Amen. finisher of our faith. Amen. So anybody that tells you that Jesus died for your sins, but you've got to, does not believe in a finished faith. Right. Let me tell you something else. All of our capabilities, the only thing we can do for salvation is turn to the Lord. Yes. And turn to him and beg for mercy. Turn to him and say, I believe, I trust. The thief on the cross, all he could do was tell the Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. Yes. All we have the ability to do is make that decision that we want his grace. And that we're going to trust him for his grace. But the power to trust him as we go through these manifold temptations in life that's a spiritual gift. He gives us the ability to do all that. You see, we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. He chose us. It was his idea to save us. It was his idea to redeem us. And then he took the steps it took to redeem us. We are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Foreknowledge. There's a word for you. It means God's knowledge of us before he created us. That's right. 
I was debating a Calvinist one day, and he told me something about that word foreknowledge. He said the word foreknowledge, that word knowledge, that word know carries with it a meaning of love and an insinuation, a, a uh, I can't think of what I'm trying to, a connotation of love. And I thought to myself, There's some, there may be something to that. You know, God knew who you were going to be before you were ever born. Yes. He knew what decisions you were going to make before you were ever born, before you were formed in the womb, before you were conceived. He knew who you were before the world ever was. Yes. You know what else? God loved you Amen. before the world ever was. He didn't wait around until one of us came along and says, oh, wait, I need to save them, so I'm going to send Jesus to the cross. He sent Jesus to the cross before we ever were. Yes. The Bible tells us that he demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before we ever were. Peter refers to the Lord as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Before the world ever was, this plan of redemption was already hatched out. Because he knew us. And he loved us beforehand. He told the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. God knew Jeremiah, loved Jeremiah, and had established a purpose for Jeremiah's life long before he was conceived, long before the world ever was. We are let chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. God loved us first. And he chose us. And he redeemed us. And he reached out to us. And he put the gospel into our lives first. And that's what Peter's telling us here. Yes. He says that before the world ever was, God loved you. You Christians who are being scattered by Roman persecution. You Christians today who are suffering health problems, separation from family, family problems, you are struggling with sin, you're dealing with an addiction, you, you are having problems with appliances breaking down all the time. You know, your, your daughter's boarding pass is missing and she's in Minneapolis and you can't help her. But he did. <laughs> right? Yeah. All of you who are having these problems, these manifold temptations, don't forget the fact that God loves you. He loves you and he chose you. He wanted to save you. And if God is going to do all that to redeem you, he's not going to abandon you in this time of suffering. Right. Remember who you are. Amen. Remember you're a child of God. Remember what he has done for you. Don't forget it. It's so easy to. Peter sank in the waves. Why? Because he quit looking at Jesus. He started looking at the waves. I can't blame him. I would have looked at the waves too. I'd have gotten preoccupied with those waves, all right? And if you're scared of water, it's even worse. Jesus pulled him out of the water. Jesus could have been, I'm going to let Peter go on down there. That'll take away one of my faithless disciples. No, he rescued Peter. Because he loved Peter. That's who we are. We are Peter in the waves. Sinking because we're looking at the waves. Don't look at the waves. Look at Jesus. All right? And that's what Peter's saying. Remember who you are. He goes on to say in verse 3 that we are begotten again. Yes. 
unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are begotten again. That word begotten means to be born. We are born again. John 3, 3, tell, Jesus tells Nicodemus that except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Jesus went on to refer that this is a spiritual birth. We are begotten again. You know, Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. You have been born again. And 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, being born again, we are new creatures in Christ. We are new people. He has changed us from the inside out. The change that you can see in somebody's life after they accept Jesus as their personal Savior, there is evidence of salvation. The, cha the change that you can see in your own life after your own salvation, that is evidence of your salvation. We are created into new creatures, into new people. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have been born again. You have been transformed. You become a new person. And you have been begotten unto a lively hope. Yes. A lively hope. Hope is a confident expectation. It's something you're looking forward to. Mm -hmm. It's something that you know is going to happen. Mm -hmm. We have a lively hope. Yes. We know that one day... We're not going to worry about the health problems. We ain't going to hurt no more, right? One day, we're not going to have separation anxiety from our loved ones. You know, that's, um, I got to tell y'all, Jessica was prepared for Rachel's leaving. I wasn't. I knew it was coming. We talked about it. All right? We had discussed it. I was excited for her. It was an honor to drive her to the airport. I enjoyed my final two hours because we got there ridiculously early. We, we. I enjoyed the last two and a half, three hours. I don't know how long it was. It seemed like 15 minutes, all right? People talk about, oh, we had to sit in the airport terminal forever. Seemed like 15 minutes to me, all right? We're sitting there. I knew that this was coming, all right? I was prepared for it, I thought. And she goes behind TSA. And, and it just, you, you know, you got that guy there at the front of the line. You go, he, you show him your ID or whatever. He motions you on through, and you go to his little desk, and they interview you. And I don't know if y'all have ever flown. I haven't. I'm just kind of imagining what's going on. She goes to this little desk, and she's talking to the person there, and then she goes beyond the desk to the right, and I can barely see what looks like a body scanner there. So she goes that direction, and it hits me. When she walks past this guy who checks her ID and lets her, or checks her boarding pass and lets her on through, at this point, I cannot do anything for her. A bunch of TSA agents come out there and cuff her and drag. I can't do anything for her. I can't protect her. I cannot guide her. I cannot solve her problems. And she goes around that corner, and all of a sudden it's like, I think I said earlier before Sunday school, my heart just jumped out of my chest and followed her on around that corner. I had not felt a feeling like that. I mean, the last time I had felt that way was at a close loved one's funeral. And Rachel hasn't died. You know, I'm not trying to be melodramatic. That was, that was the, 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 the feeling here. And Jessica just told me that she's made it to Thailand safely. We just got the, y'all may have heard the noise. We just got the notification. Praise the Lord, all right? Yes, praise the Lord. I can't help her. She's going to Seoul, South Korea. I'm, 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 or she was going through Seoul, South Korea. I'm, I'm, I'm praying that the new war doesn't break out while she's at the airport. Yes. You know, I mean, I can't help her. There's that separation, right? And when we experience the death of a loved one, that's what we're feeling. Yes. It's that separation. Because yes. the day's coming, that separation's not going to be here. You know, I felt silly because I'm going back to the car. 
I'm getting to the car, and I'm starting to leak. <laughs> and I'm feeling silly because I know she's coming back in two months. Like, yes. <laughs> hey, the last time I've seen her, she's coming back in two months. I have that confident expectation. Amen. God is good. Yes. The tears are good people. Yes. American Airlines sort of kind of has their, their ducks in a row. Yes. And she also flew Delta. Um, anyway, I had a common expectation. The day is coming when that separation will not impact us anymore. Yes, that's true. The pain will be gone. The separation will be gone. And most of all, we will be back in the presence of our Savior. Amen. And his perfect creation will be perfect once more. Hope, confident expectation. We have been begotten again unto a lively hope. <sighs> wow. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's how we know it's real. Amen. Verse 5 says we are kept by the power of God. I have about two pages of scriptures that will tell us that being kept by the power of God means that we cannot lose this hope and we cannot lose this salvation. We cannot lose this redemption. That's who we are. We are chosen and loved by God. We are saved and transformed by God. We are kept by God. So no matter what happens to you, separation from one another, separation by death, separation by travel, whether it be health problems, whether it be financial problems, family problems, war breaks out, the economy crashes, Wall Street goes down, a Democrat wins the White House, whatever, I'm kidding, whatever horrible thing you can imagine, we still have that hope, and we still have that blessing, because that's who we are, chosen and redeemed by God. Amen. But suffering still happens. The child of God, who understands the grace of God, the love of God, who understands how God has done everything he can do because he loves us, we understand that even though God does not create our problems, he allows us to go through these problems, and he allows those problems to be used as teaching implements for us to be brought closer into his presence. Which is why Peter says in verses 6 and 7, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be, tri might be found unto praise and honor and glory, unto the appearing of Jesus Christ. We rejoice in the Lord and we rejoice in our salvation despite our problems. Our problems, our temptations, our trials refine our faith. Enduring these problems while trusting the Lord teaches us patience and teaches us hope. And we grow. And we learn to trust the Lord more and to lean on him more. We experience his deliverance, his guidance, his provision through these times. This builds hope, confident expectation, even through hard times. Mm -hmm. That's Romans 5, 3 through 5. Mm -hmm. Now, we glory in tribulations also. Not that we're excited that the tribulation's happening. You know, I have never... I don't even know, I, I've known some pretty strong Christians in my day, and I've never known a single one that says, oh, goody, the roof is leaking. <laughs> you know? But we praise God even though the roof is leaking because we know that the rest of the roof is still working. We still have a dry spot here. Yeah. 
-hmm. and God will provide for the repair of the roof. That's right. Right? That's glorying in tribulations. We glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. Mm -hmm. And hope maketh not ashamed, and that's a key word there, hope maketh not ashamed. To be ashamed means to be disappointed. It means to be left holding the short end of the stick. It means that you told somebody that your mom was going to come pick you up and then your mom never came and picked you up and your teacher had to drive you home from school. Not that that ever happened to me. But you know what I'm saying. That's what that word ashamed means in the Bible. Because the love of God is shed abroad, so you never have to worry about being left out by God. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Tribulation, problems, works patience, that's endurance. Mm -hmm. Problems work endurance. Endurance works experience, and experience works that confident expectation. The more you grow in your faith, Mm -hmm. the more you understand God's words to Paul when he said, my grace is sufficient for thee. Trials and tribulations transform us by teaching us to trust God's grace. Mm -hmm. And as you trust his grace more, you suffer less anxiety. As you trust his grace more, the more sufficient the gospel is to you. This is where God wants you. The more you trust the Lord and the more you trust his gospel and the more thankful you are for the grace that he has shed in your life, the less, the less concerned you are about what kind of vehicle you're in, whether it'll keep running, whether you will be able to keep it and not get it possessed, repossessed, whether you will be able to make next month's payments, whether you have the lifestyle that you want, whether you're staying in the courtyard by Marriott or whether you are staying in the Motel 6. All that stuff makes less sense to you and it makes it's less important to you because you understand God's provision in what you have now. Amen. Yes. A Christian knows how to enjoy a good chicken fried steak. Amen. A good bucket of fried chicken. When times are really good, a Christian knows how to enjoy a good sirloin or a good ribeye. And Christians, true Christians, can enjoy God's grace and his provision and know that they're loved, even when it's red beans and rice, beans and cornbread, bar-ass hot dogs. Y'all ever eat those? You can buy eight of them for two bucks. They ain't that good. No. I thought I was going to be cheap. I bought bar hot dogs. Said to the kids one night, Jessica was alone. But Jessica left me alone with the kids. I fed them bar hot dogs. She found out what I did, and she promised to never leave the kids alone again. <laughs> My poor babies, I will never do that to you again. But the kids were happy with the bar hot dogs. And, you know, that's what a Christian, a Christian can praise God that's over right. bar hot dogs. That's where God wants you. And finally, we are to move forward in faith. Verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Gird up the loins of your mind. What does that mean? Back then, they wore robes. And you can say a lot of things about those robes. According to the movie Evan Almighty, they were very comfortable. I don't know. I never wore one. But how do you play soccer in one of those robes? You can't. They had wrestling. How do you wrestle in one of those robes? You can't. How do you run the 400-meter dash? You can't in one of those robes. What they would do is they'd take the robe, and they would 
pull it up between their legs like this, pull it up all nice and tight and tuck it in their belt and it came to kind of like shorts. And then they could move around. And then they can, you know, climb up something if they need to climb up it. They can run, they can kick the ball, whatever it is they did. I don't know what they did back then. I don't know what kind of games or sports or athletic. I, I, they ran, they wrestled, they raced chariots. That's all I know. Um, but anyway, that was girding up your loins. Yes. So the Bible tells us to gird up the loins of our mind. What does that mean? It means to prepare your mind, to prepare yourself mentally. You're going to go through hard times. You are going to be tried with fire. Problems are going to come about. Prepare yourself mentally to go through them. Don't be Leland dropping Rachel off at the airport and have it suddenly hit him. All right? Be like Jessica. Be prepared. Have all of that settled in your heart. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. That just means to be in control of yourself, to be in control of your thoughts. Don't be controlled by your emotions. And hope to the end. Be looking forward to the return of the Lord. That's how you move forward in faith. Keep living and trust the Lord as you live. Amen. Be at peace with God. Trust him. You are never out of his reach. You are never abandoned by him. Trust this transformation you are enduring and be looking forward to his kingdom.